Well, good day, Fellowship family. Thank you so much for kind of shifting your worship time to be here with us on this Sunday morning. And uh, if someone comes in 11 o'clock or thereafter, just welcome them, right? Great to have you with us. We're, we're uh, completing, or not completing, we're continuing a, ser- uh, a series called Nativity. And it has to do with looking at each of the key characters, the people God used to bring in the nativity of his son, Jesus. And we've looked at the wise men. We've looked at the shepherds. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at Joseph. And tomorrow, tomorrow, Christmas Eve, at each of our services, we're going to be focusing on Mary and how God used her and how God developed faith in her. And so today, as we talk about Joseph, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you, families are so foundational. And if there's never a time where family is so highlighted, it's around the holidays, isn't it? You know, if your family's doing really well around the holidays, there's, it's like family on steroids. You get all that time and all that energy. And when your family's dysfunctional, I mean, <laughs> holidays is just not good, Right? And there's always that one family member. I mean, they get around the table and they say those awkward things and you just go, oh man, get me out of here. When folks, there's no such thing as a perfect family. Do you know why? Because you're in it. <laughs> and I'm in it. We're broken people and we're far from perfect. And so anything I'm a part of is not going to be perfect. But Families are still used by God for his glory and his purposes. And as we pull in and we look at Joseph, here's a guy kind of off in the margins. We don't hear much about him after the birth of Christ. At one place where Jesus is teaching in the temple at around age 12, and Joseph and Mary were looking for him. And after that, it's, it's uh, reasonable to assume that he died early, died young. And we don't see him, definitely we don't see him at the time where Christ was crucified or even during the time of Christ's ministry in Galilee. But he played a significant role and one that I want to lean into. Matthew is talking about the family of God in Matthew chapter 1. We read it, we read it from a, a, a perspective of, okay, hello. Okay, someone's going to have to change that one. Okay. Do I, I don't have the power today. I'm sorry, I'm all out. Um, but let's take a look at Matthew 1, verse 1. It says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so the family tree of Jesus is being kind of unpacked for us here. And uh, it's going from Abraham to Christ. And this is significant because Matthew was told from a Jewish perspective to a Jewish audience. And so to see that Jesus literally is part of God's plan, that he brings in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the law and the prophets, and the fulfillment of the Messiah as Jesus, this is who he is. And so this story doesn't begin with, kids... Once upon a time, think with me of a wonderful story. And then a unicorn comes you know, flying across. No, this is a really a, a picture. This is an ancient 
uh, family tree that's just being unpacked for us. And that's important. And if you follow verse 2 all the way down to verse 16, it's real easy when you start a book like Matthew and you just start reading names that you just go, I don't even know how to say that name. I can't figure it out. I'm out. Okay. And so we check out when we don't really understand it. But if we were to really dissect this list, we would find an incredible, incredible list of names. You see, in ancient texts, especially when you were talking about a king and his background, you would scrub out all the people who weren't important or who were negative in your story. And so it's kind of like, we, we would know nothing about this, because we have Facebook now, and we, we show everything on Facebook. We're very vulnerable. We'll take a selfie and go, I gained 15 pounds this year. Look at this. Look. No, we don't. We do what they did. We scrub our negative, and we highlight our positives. And that's what they did. Matthew doesn't do that, though. He lists out the good and the bad in the people of the story in the background of Jesus. Secondly, unlike ancient texts, he includes women. Women weren't included in ancient texts. They could not give a, a witness in a court of law. But, but Matthew, in an ancient world, identifies women. There's five of them here. And they weren't all Jewish. So what would turn the stomach of a proud Jewish mother around the dinner table when Matthew's bringing up this? What would terrify them, Matthew just highlights. Look at some of the women that are mentioned there. Tamar. Oh, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't bring in Tamar. But she was in an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law, Judah. Don't go there. Why is she brought up in this list? This is the word of God. And then there's Rahab. Rahab, what did she? She made her living as a prostitute. Whoa. Wait a minute. I don't, none of these women would be allowed to worship at the temple, and yet they're included. They're right in the center of the story of Jesus. And then there's Ruth, the Moabite. She's not even Israeli. She's not even from Israel, and yet she enters in because she played a role. Mary is mentioned, and she's off the grid. But here it is. It's including it. It's including it. And then even the big names, the big names, like King David. I mean, tie me into David if you're going to tie me into history. But his name is mentioned, and then his son name, Solomon, from Uriah's wife. Don't mention Uriah if you're only giving my positive times. Uriah was a mighty man of David. He fought for David. He gave his life for David, and David cheated on him with his wife. He committed adultery with his wife and then pulled back the troops, gave the order to pull back the troops, and Uriah was killed by the enemy. And David tried to cover it up. You see, before there was a Me Too movement, there's Matthew 1, folks. There was. You might be able to use power and influence to cloud out reality, but God says, no, no. I want the truth to be known. And what we would like to ignore, God says, include it. It's a fascinating picture of restoring a story of broken people through the person and the work of Jesus Christ Christ.
And then, as we look at the family background, Matthew now highlights in verse 16 or 17, he, he highlights the spiritual significance of Jesus. And he goes, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. Look for that word 14, and by the way, I've underlined it on the screen. It says, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. 14, 14, 14, add them up, 42. But what's significant about 14? Well, there's six groupings of seven and God created the world in seven, in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And there was something about the Messiah. There's something about the 49th year, the year of Jubilee, that would point to Jesus here. And God used people, and he used times, and he used history to bring forth his son. But who is Jesus? He's the seventh seven. He's ultimately our rest. He's the Sabbath for our souls. Jesus would give final, full, and final rest to us. Now, we don't really catch the Sabbath a whole lot here. We don't emphasize the Sabbath on every a- aspect of the Our day, that seventh day being the day of rest, but in the Jewish world, it was. Everything stopped. When you travel to Israel today, you look, there's a Sabbath elevator, and you walk in, and work is defined as punching an elevator key. (laughs) So I hate getting in the Sabbath elevator, because you walk in, the door closes, it, it stops at every floor, so you don't have to push a button. So when your hotel's on the 15th floor, it's a long ride. (laughs) But here's Jesus. Jesus would be our Sabbath of Sabbaths. He would be the one who we would find full and final rest. So you've got this whole picture of who Jesus is. Look at where he came from. Look at his family. And now it tunes right in. It goes right in to the micro picture of Jesus with Joseph and Mary. Folks, before we move on, I think Matthew is trying to tell us something. That who you came from is less important than who came for you. When we think about family, we've got to keep this full and final for us. That who you came from is less important than who came for you. And with family, there's either the overinflated view of family or these, the deflated view of family. And I've seen the overinflated view. We are the Hishmas. This is who we are. Look what's happening to those families. But look at us. You know? We can get into that overinflated view of family. And God says, not important. Not as important as who came for you and the family you're called into. And then you can run from the deflated view of family. And boy, how many of us have grown up in families that just have it's got abuse. We've got horrible stories. We want to escape those memories. And God says, no, you can come from a family like that and still be in my family. Why? Because we're in because of Jesus. None of us are in because of our families. None of us are in because we have this performance uh, level that we've measured up to that God says, okay, now you're in. No, no, it's all, folks, if we could do that, Jesus would have never had to come, but he did. That's why who came for you is more important than where you came from. So let's take a look at this. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, let's read the story of Joseph and Mary. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not. In other words, he did not have sexual relations with her until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, Joseph. Joseph, a man that I think demonstrates some, a spiritual legacy for all of us who are part of a family. We need to catch this vision because there's a tension between an earthly legacy and a heavenly legacy. And what God is calling us is if he can use a couple off the margins, not even married yet, to bring forth his son, he can use any family in this room to make his name greater. And so as we look at this, let's just take a look at where they were. They were in Nazareth. They were in Nazareth. And Nazareth at that time was a small town. Here in the 1870s, this picture was taken of the city of Nazareth. And um, fascinating history, at least personally with Nazareth. My grandmother grew up in Nazareth. And her grandparents were from Nazareth and Bethlehem. Here are two such of my great-grandfathers. Interesting, isn't it? Do I look like either one of them? I don't know. I don't know. But having family from Nazareth and Bethlehem makes me an expert on Christmas. <laughs> right now, if you were to travel to Nazareth, the city would literally pour over those, those hills that are around it. There's well over 200,000 people who live in Nazareth. But then it was a small little place, probably four or 500 people large. And and so Joseph was, was what called in the Greek a technon, which meant a builder. And builders didn't build with wood. They built with stone. That was the most common material in that area. So most likely he was like a stonemason. And there wasn't enough work for a stonemason in Nazareth. If you look at how it was built, not enough. But, but right around it was a major Roman building project called the city of Sepphoris. You can go today and walk the streets of Sepphoris. It's a fascinating city. Herod Antipas, the one after Herod the Great, um, made this the capital of his region. And here's one of the main streets there. Can you see the grooves in the stones there? Those are from carts being dragged across it for hundreds of years. You can still see the grooves today. And then you can travel and see mosaics. Mosaics, those are 2,000-year-old mosaics that you can walk. Well, actually, they rope them off now. But you can still see that work there. And then at the time of Christ, this was being built. This was an amphitheater. It, it filled up to around 4,000 people. The area on the top had, has not been restored, but the area on the bottom has been restored to give you a picture of what it might have looked like. But here you got Joseph, who probably could walk over the hill and put himself to work through building the city of Sepphoris. And most likely, if you were a common Jewish family, the son would come with you. So can you picture it right now? Jesus walking with his father. 
And here's the thing that blows my mind. You've got this little boy, and he's watching dad work all day. And you're building a kingdom for Rome, and right next to you, think about this, you've got the builder of the universe right next to you. That just blows my mind. But here, this son of Joseph would build a kingdom that would bring us back, that would bring in the righteousness and the justice and the love and the mercy of God for all generations. And ultimately, what we see through Joseph is that, is that not just who you came from is less important than who came for you, but ultimately, all, every earthly family is invited into a heavenly family. Every family on earth is invited into God's family through Christ. And so what do we see in Joseph that kind of reveals us some of these heavenly values in the family that we can kind of aim our lives to? And, and what I I'm, I'm want to be purposeful in doing this is as you think about family with you around this time, what can you make it about? And my answer is, what if Christmas this year, you really made it about Jesus and pursued those legacies together? One of the things we see in Joseph is, first of all, his practicing of justice and grace. Look at what it says in verse 19. It says, and her husband Joseph, having, uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, rece- resolved to divorce her quietly. Here we've got a Jewish uh, family who is off in the margins. They probably were not wealthy. They were very poor, and, and yet they're right into the center of God's plan. Something happens, though. The woman was found to be pregnant, and you're Joseph, and that's not your son. You didn't have relations with her. And so if you think about it, and some of you come from small-town Kansas— So you know what I'm talking about. You know how word gets around small town? Hey, I heard she's pregnant. And they're engaged. (gasps) Everyone stops counting after nine months. Everyone stops counting after nine months. This is out of whack. What this is was going to be a public disgrace to this family. Joseph was going, my name is nothing. Who you, who you came from? Who are you? Whose son are you? To this day, if I were to travel to Nazareth and I would introduce myself, it would not be, I am Joe Hishma. <laughs> that would get me nowhere. I would have to say, I'm Ibn Abed. I'm the son of Abed. That's my great-grandfather. Oh, come right in, because everyone knows my grandfather. The stories about you stick. Reputations are really hard to change. You can't just move away. So it haunted him. And he wondered, what am I going to do with this? And so if you kind of get this picture by his response, we kind of get the picture of maybe how his mind was operating. Okay, this really messes things up for me. She, she's a good woman, but this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the excuse, I'm pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. I, that just, just doesn't happen around here. And so what do I do? What do I do? Who am I? I'm a follower of the Most High God. Who is God? He's full of grace and truth. How will I act? I will not ignore the truth, but I will also give her grace. I will step away quietly 
and I won't publicly disgrace. The only way to save his mind was to go, she's been unfaithful. That's how, he sa- that's how a guy saved his, his name, is to point it on her and blame her. But what does he do? Who is God? He is truth. He is grace. I will step away. And while he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. What do you do? It was in a dream. It was in a dream. And I don't know what you've been dreaming about recently, but I've had some pretty crazy dreams that I wake up and go, ah, yeah, that wasn't true. I'm so glad that wasn't true. (laughs) But here, you see the second value in him is that when God showed up in his life, even in a dream, he was willing to listen. And that other legacy of a of a godly family is they're leaning into the word of God. And so an angel appears in a dream to him and says this, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What has happened from, to her has, is from God, the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. Where do we get that name, Jesus? It's actually, if you read it in the Greek, it's Yeshua. Where do we see that in Hebrew, Yeshua Joshua. What does Joshua mean? God is my salvation. Joseph, Joseph, I am going to save people from their sins through this son who's going to be in your family. Don't be afraid. I'm going to work. I'm working. I am alive and at work. I am the God who has worked in your life up to this point. Look back at the prophets. Look back at the prophet who says, and the virgin shall give birth to a child, and you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So Joseph, when you take this step of faith, I will be with you because I will actually be born into your family. Listening to the word of God. See, that's been a difficult thing for us because we're not even reading anything of importance anymore. Take, take a look at how few people read things. And we like content, but most of it's video, right? Yeah, we love the videos of the goat that can, that can cry like a baby, right? See that? <laughs> look at that. Oh, did you see that video? We flip it. But do we lean into the word of God? Are we putting it in front of us so we can get a better picture of who God is? Families, are we doing this? Are we beginning this in our lives so our kids can see the priority of God's word, listening and leaning in? And he leans in, and he believed it. He believed it, and as a result of that, he moves to the second thing of of responding to the person and the work of Jesus. It is this child. He will be God with us, and so I will be that father, and this is what I will do. I will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Can you imagine this one? Jesus, where did you get that name, Joseph? Where did you? Well, I had a dream, and an angel appeared and gave me Jesus. So, and the angel told me that this kid's going to save people from their sins. Right, okay, that's an overinflated view of yourself. But here, he was, he was someone who was willing to respond. He bucked the system, because families would just look for descendants they would name them after. They wouldn't bring in a new name. And here the name was Yeshua, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, as you lean into the word of God, is there that track pattern, uh, that track record in your, in your family of you making faith decisions that are based on the word of God? I think there's that desire to see our kids respond to the 
to the word of God and respond to the person and the work of Jesus. I think when we're here and we gather in a place like this, I think, I mean, folks, you got a lot of reasons to stay home on a Sunday morning, but you chose to come to a place where you could lean into God's word and listen to God speak to you and then go out and live that and respond to him in your lives. I mean, the totality of your faith cannot be just listening in a room like this. It has to be responding. So we, every week we have you stand up, I pray for you, and I send you out of here so that you can go and live a life of response to the person and the work of Jesus. But here's the point. If I want to see it in my kids, it must first be in me. How many family experiences do we have of going to church week after week after week, but mom and dad argued on the way there and on the way home? Nothing changed in life. And there was basically, we lived like practical atheists, even though we went to church. There's an opportunity to respond, to be people of faith, and to follow God and to take him at his work and respond. Joseph did. He did as the angel of the Lord told him. And that's another picture that we see, not just responding, but specific obedience. Obedience of obeying the will of God for him. He took Mary at as his wife, even though... Publicly, she was a scandal. Publicly, a low man on the totem pole just became lower. He obeyed the will of God. He took Mary as his wife. And even though probably no one would notice this one, he was sexually pure with her until Jesus was born. And then when Jesus was born, he named him Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Here's the point. Here's the point. It's not just who you came from, but who came for you. But here's the greater point for us. Pursue your heavenly legacy more than your earthly legacy. As we're together as families, and as we're celebrating our children, and we're celebrating what God is doing in our families, here's what I want, because it's going to require us to make... Uh, it's going a choice, a decision that's going to be reflected in a commitment. Our family will be more about Jesus than it will be about us. See, that's the legacy we're called to live. And even if you're single or single again, it's an opportunity for us to say, my life, my life is going to be more about Jesus then it is going to be about me. And this as a family, if you're in a family and your kids and you're chasing kids right now, this is going to be a commitment that you make where you go, look, more, more than academics, more than athletics, more than dance recitals or band recitals, I'm going to love Jesus. We're going to love Jesus more than we love the performance of our kids. We're going to love Jesus more than just being worried about our kids disappointing us or our kids messing up. We're going to love Jesus and we're going to make it about him. We're going to humble our lives to step away from performance, to step away from family pride or the lack of it, family failure. And we're going to make our family more about Jesus. See, that's the foundation. That's the foundation that God loves to build his family on. You see, Jesus Jesus invites all of us to be a part of his family. 
And it's his family that brings us together in a place like this. Over the past 16 years, this has been my church family. And I have loved being a part of being in a family with you. And we come from all different backgrounds. We come from a whole bunch of different age groups and seasons in life. But God brings us together because he says, make my name greater, church. Fellowship up. Make my name greater. In your families, make me greater. We all have those hallways with family pictures. Some of us have the I love me room with all of our awards and all that kind of stuff. But we're called to turn away from those things to make Jesus the greatest thing in our lives. You see, when you build an eternal kingdom in the lives of your children, when you allow Jesus to be the most important thing, guess what? When they leave you, who do they make name, whose name do they make great? They make Jesus' name great. And where can they do that? Wherever God takes them. Earthly family legacies give us a lot of pressure. And when we don't measure up, they bring a lot of shame and guilt. Heavenly legacies are not built on our performance. They're built on the perfection of Jesus and his grace. None of us are in because of our works or our performance. And none of us stay in because we keep being good. We're in and we stay in only because of grace. So let grace be your legacy in your family. All right, would you stand with me? And I'm going to dismiss you for 24 hours and then I want you back next tomorrow, right? (laughs) But wait, there's more, Christmas Eve. All right. Well, let me pray for you and just commit these next 24, 48, 72 hours is maybe even longer if you have family coming in. And let's just, I want to trust you in the hands of Jesus and to make him greater in your family. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person that you brought to this place to this day. And Lord, thank you for showing us the truth of how you use any family and you invite them into your family because it's not who we came from, it's who came for us. And so Lord, make our lives about Jesus and may we, may we invest it all on making his name greater on earth as it is in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.